Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to 10K Collective, a subset of the amazing FBA podcast for six, seven, eight figure Amazon sellers. I know it says behind me, British Amazon sellers, if you're watching the video, actually, that's a bit of a, a lie, really. We have more podcast listeners in the US than in Britain, quite a few in Germany, some in India, various places. So you're all welcome. And today we're talking to Will Chernland of Goat Consulting, who help brands and manufacturers sell better on Amazon. Will has an amazing overview, I think, of the entire process, having both sold a load of stuff on Amazon himself personally back in the day, also helped his family business transition from B2B to B2C, so selling direct. So a fantastic thinker in this space, and you're warmly welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about kind of what's what's the next marketplace threat or what's the biggest threat to Amazon kind of in the future? Because it's it seems like they've been rolling lately, but at the same time, so has everyone else in the e-commerce space. So it's an interesting space. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're talking about, I suppose, a threat to Amazon, but an opportunity to us as e-commerce business owners. Specifically, we talked in one of the last episodes about the fact that because Amazon is actually struggling with the, the fulfillment side, and I guess logistics generally, they're actually trying to, for the first time ever, slow down their growth. And of course, if the e-commerce demand is off the hook and the market as a whole of e-commerce is bigger by dollar revenue and Amazon is trying to slow that down, they're then losing market share. So I suppose there is an opportunity for competitors to take a piece off Amazon, ironically, when times are the greatest. You mentioned Shopify already, but I guess there's a few things that are specific to the fulfillment area that is an interesting place. So tell me, you got a specific thing you want to address here just just go go with it tell us what you're on your mind postmates which is pretty popular here in the u.s which they can deliver all sorts of stuff from food to groceries they recently partnered up with walgreens which is one of the larger drug stores or convenience stores in the u.s like very 7-eleven like but then with more medical and more kind of prescription drugs and that type of thing and basically if you think of a large 7-eleven they essentially have every SKU you could ever imagine that you would need on short notice. And the interesting part is that with them teaming up with someone like Postmates, they can not only deliver these products to customers quickly, but they probably can deliver them to fairly cheaply too. Say a traditional Postmates order might take 30 minutes to be delivered to you and may cost anywhere from 3 to $5 for them to deliver it. Well, we know here in the U.S. that it basically costs you $2 to ship anything, $2.70 to ship anything in the U.S., and it's going to take one to two days. And so a lot of these items that if you think about it are sold in, say, like a 7-Eleven type store, aren't sold usually very much on Amazon unless it's in extreme bulk because they're these kind of sub $10 items that Amazon has trouble with their fulfillment centers doing profitably and third-party sellers have trouble doing profitably. But if you can have someone go to a 7-Eleven type store in their Uber car and pick up 15 orders at once, 
making two to five dollars an order and then drop those off around the neighborhood they make a good 20 30 dollars in the span of an hour or so and at the same time you order something online that actually was able to show up within an hour which is a very rare kind of case and so for the longest time at least for myself i always thought of the biggest competitor with amazon was going to be someone like walmart because they had all the SKUs, they had all the infrastructure, they had all the cash flow and such to be able to afford a fight with Amazon. But I always thought it would be very difficult since Amazon's warehouse and fulfillment centers could now do same day and next day shipping, that it would take a very long time, if not like a decade, for Walmart to be able to get those capabilities. I personally had not thought of kind of redoing the whole delivery system in general and having gig economy workers deliver from brick and mortar stores. And now that that's kind of becoming more and more a possibility, that seems much more likely than say someone like Target shipping from their store to a UPS center, to a USPS center, to your home. Just having someone drive it straight to your home sounds a lot more efficient and helpful for everyone. Very, very interesting. I mean, a couple of reflections. First of all, as a London resident, where obviously UK is vastly, vastly smaller than the USA. In fact, the area of the UK is slightly smaller than Wisconsin, which I understand has 500,000 people in it, whereas we have 66 million. So it's way more densely packed. So from a fulfillment point of view, and that's one of the reasons I think that e-commerce penetration as a percentage of retail in the UK, I believe maybe the highest in the developed world, certainly bigger than the US, because of course, it's so much easier to do. And in London, basically, <laughs> these days, it's a very, very strange world. Literally yesterday, on the 5th of November 2020, all the shops are shut except for essentials, which very, really, they're basically food-based. And and yet the streets are full of cars because everyone's commuting by car. They're scared of the underground or the tube, the subway, you'd call it, in New York. And yet you get run over by delivery guys every five seconds. So <laughs> this is very much the reality from a consumer point of view. It's physically, you just stand on the street in London. You can literally see the transition from the high street to the delivery guys going maybe from a shop that has a shut storefront at the front, but at the back, the guys are working incredibly hard to create takeaway food, which is just whizzing out to everyone. So that's very much a reality I see on the ground here. And it's interesting that 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 is probably more intensely the case in UK than it will be in the US. We may be actually ahead of that trend just because of the, the fulfillment logistics. The other thing is Prime Now is an app that I have on my phone. And again, I've been used to the point where uh, this is really funny, but embarrassing but it's the truth that i when i had an argument with my wife well, i had a girl i thought she, i need to placate her and i just got her some jewelry I, and some chocolates it was ridiculous but i got it on prime now because i thought i better get something in here quickly and i couldn't get to the shots because they were shut and literally the guy turned up with two hours later so i guess i've got used to this idea that it's possible i've got used to the idea of ordering pizzas from decades ago and i think for me it feels like a natural um, expectation that that is there from me as a consumer and I guess what you're talking about is the 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 sort of guerrilla warfare style solution is actually growing a lot faster than the, what looked like the sort of corporate type solution right yeah and I'm thinking yeah exactly let in letting the market decide with a bunch of little MVPs and mini risks between all these different stores kind of mm -hmm. thing because exactly like you said they got the restaurant that now is turned into more of a factory that assembles these dishes and gets them out the door as fast as possible to the delivery driver waiting kind of thing. And they're like assembling these purchase orders to their shipping drivers, you know, like just like a factory would. And it's the same exact thing where if you wanted to buy some ibuprofen or Tylenol quickly, a Butterfingers bar and a bottle of wine, Amazon Prime now might not be able to help you. 
but there is some store down the street that might be able to. By the way, that sounds like a terrible evening in. What happened with the Tylenol? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. That's for your, your kids who are sick. You're just okay. enjoying you yourself for the night. And you in the corner to yeah, cope with the yeah. fact you Exactly. Yeah, you, you know you. it's going to be a yeah. long night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I love that the fact that what, what you've just said, and like joking apart, that, that is really close to kind of consumers' real-life needs. It, the, 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 the thing about corporates is that and it's interesting you referenced walmart because obviously walmart's fulfillment capability back in the day was way better than amazon's but it was geared to this business to business big you know consistent size packages consistent weight etc and i believe that jeff bezos um stole walmart's fulfillment and, and logistics guys and sort of recreated and then fine-tuned that but it's interesting that maybe neither is best placed to really deal with the marketplace reality now i guess is what you're saying Interesting side note, a company that I know the founders from, from I used to teach an entrepreneurship class to his high school class that he's now was in college, dropped out. And he has a really interesting concept, a company called Pickup. But say you live in a dormitory or apartment building and you are heading to the store. You can then ping everyone within like a 500 foot or say less than a half kilometer area saying, hey, I'm going to the store and who else needs something? And for a dollar upcharge, anyone else can add something to your shopping list. And so that way you kind of become the gig driver by going to the store and then you go to the store, come back and you made 15 bucks. And so that, they, that kind of stuff where it's like, they're all, all trying to solve that last mile and how do you do it as well as possible? And then basically, who wants to do that last mile? And I've seen robots do it. I've seen gig economy drivers do it. I've seen now neighbors do it. And it's kind of what's going to be most efficient for the market and what's going to be best for everyone. Very interesting. And what this one makes you think of is a couple of things. The obvious point, if you're talking about robots, suddenly we're talking about Amazon and the drones. And again, in the UK, I think it's less regulated than the US when it comes to air stuff. They've done some experiments in Cambridgeshire, which is Cambridge, obviously a very renowned university for high tech startups because it's full of incredibly bright people. There is one college in Cambridge that has more Nobel prizes for physics than France. So just to put it in perspective, and that's one thing that looks like an obvious thing and it's the 21st century and of course it's about robots but the other thing that strikes me that's very interesting is it's not always about the physical robots of you know from from the earliest days of science fiction it's people moving but directed by artificial intelligence and i know that amazon warehouses for example of course they got the physical robots and that looks very dramatic on tv but actually a lot of what their paths of the workers through the the warehouse i believe is driven by artificial intelligence algorithms and in a sense what this is all about is using very simple manual human labor which is incredibly hard to replicate with the robot because physically handling an egg requires years of programming and that sort of thing but the the aggregation of need and the, the matching of need to fulfillment capability is being done by the AI, right? Just like Uber and all these other things, Airbnb and so forth, sort of aggregation stuff, right? So how can we take advantage of this fascinating trend you put your finger on? And this is something I really hadn't, hadn't really spotted at all. So very, very interesting kind of breaking news for me. How do we take advantage of this then as e-commerce sellers? And that, that kind of comes back to our last conversation with maybe just not being fully Amazon dependent or at least having some sort of merchant fulfillment capability if something like this does pop up. I don't know how they're going to do this. Where are these couriers going to only work with large corporations at first? Are there going to be a third party marketplace for these couriers that they can you can be a 
a seller that jumps on there as a item that can be delivered in, in two hours, or I don't know exactly how to do it. It's just being aware of it, knowing it's coming down the pipeline and just keeping your finger on the pulse to know that as soon as there is an opportunity for you to jump in and service your products to customers, that you're ready for it and that you're not caught with your hands tied behind your back. Again, what strikes me about this is that I keep, it seems to be the theme of our conversations, that Paul Graham thing, do things that don't scale. I, I guess the scaling piece is an issue, but I think it always strikes me that when people want to start an e-commerce business from scratch, or maybe they were already in it, but they want to move on to Amazon. The first thing is to find somebody literally a person who wants to literally buy your product not say nice things about it but they'll give you money and then the second thing is to find 10 more people who'll do that now that's a kind of startup question and hence paul graham says that stuff and it's interesting to reflect that companies which are now huge like groupon i believe they spent months thrashing around they literally made their first sales to the guys in the same office building as them because they manually knocked on doors now What's interesting is that it's almost come full circle because now maybe the greatest next opportunity is the same thing as a startup would naturally do, which is work on a small scale, think local in a sense, and then try and scale up lots of locals rather than scale up by putting your machine, your stuff into the massive machine that is an FBA system or whatever. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? A perfect example of that, honestly is something that you would just never think of being like a D2C type brand, but it's something that my fiance and I love is we order from a company called Imperfect Produce and they do exactly stuff that doesn't scale. They go and find local farmers who have vegetables that they can't sell to grocery stores because they're not pretty enough and buy them for pennies on the dollar and then assemble boxes full of produce and deliver them to my doorstep once a week. And it's a perfect, it's a imperfect produce truck that only is delivering imperfect produce and not using UPS. They've made connections with farmers locally in this Minnesota area, assembled these boxes. And then for 25 bucks a month, I get these boxes show up or 25 bucks a week. I think it is. I get these boxes of produce that these carrots look slightly off or something like that, but they're fine carrots. And it's a very interesting thing of them figuring out the last mile selling a product that traditionally wasn't D to C and cutting out the middlemen in a commodity type market like carrots. And it's all these types of things that like, well, this doesn't scale. This doesn't scale. Well, this doesn't scale. Well, Imperfect Produce is now in like whatever 50 cities throughout the US. And so it, it does scale. There's like misfit produce and it's all those kind of things. And so it's like the whole business model basically sounds like something that doesn't scale based on something that doesn't scale based on something that doesn't scale. But <laughs> once you get enough happy customers that actually can figure it out, you just go territory by territory back to that talk. Yeah, this is so fascinating, man. I mean, what I guess, uh, what I love about your thinking, which is I, I'm just obsessed with pushing in that direction now with the podcast and with the, the masterminds, everything is just starting from first principles like a good physicist rather than like somebody's like a mechanic a mechanic works with the car in the way it works a physicist goes okay we've got a problem how do we solve it based on raw you know knowledge of physics and then a lot of experimentation and because i think that what we are looking for, I suppose, is, is on the one hand, solving a problem for consumers, right? The second thing is adding value. As you said, they've got a commodity and they've turned it into something that's much more valuable. It's doing stuff that has a built-in barrier to entry. And I think the weird thing is if I had to advise somebody 15 years ago about starting a business, I'd say, you've got to get online. You know, the Jeff Bezos' insight when he's walking in Wall Street, he looked at the growth of the internet and went, this is crazy. I would almost say, you know, if I wanted a defensible business now, I would find 
not in COVID, it's not very COVID proof to own a hairdresser, but something like that, that somebody's not going to drive 50 miles for a haircut unless it's really high end and you got those in London. And I know that some of the guys who worked on that, they'll give you $500 haircut. Okay. But mostly it's like something doesn't scale. It's very local that you cannot replace with a, with a robot that cannot be outsourced to the Philippines, that cannot just be bought by Amazon and, and turned into a, an addition to the Amazon empire. And, you know, this is this kind of reminds you of that kind of business model. It's very defensible because how is somebody going to recreate that from the outside, right? Yeah, I always think of it, too, without even really thinking about it, but just from kind of my blue-collar mindset and stuff is if you do unsexy stuff that people don't want to do, they'll pay your money for it. And so, like, my Amazon agency, it's like, we got a 1,000 listings that all need new photos. It's like... That's a perfect, unsexy stuff that no one wants to do. It's really annoying to down, upload five photos per 1,000 SKUs. Half of them aren't going to be accepted. You have to go through and double check it and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, perfect. I can sit right in there where no one wants to do it. It's unsexy. No one's like, I'm going to create an agency that helps people re-upload photos. You know? And so I sit in this kind of flying under the radar thing. I've always, back to like the Amazon private label seller, it's always better to have 10, 100 SKUs that sell 10 units a day than 10 SKUs that sell, um, uh, sorry, 100 SKUs that sell 10 units a day than 10 SKUs that sell 100 units a day kind of thing where you distribute your risk, you, you fly below the radar, you're not selling these sexy products that everyone wants to sell a me too and copy you right away. And you just can kind of sit there and fly below the radar for long, lo- much longer time than you go into a sexy category with lots of sales and lots of competitors. That's a fun category to be in that everyone else wants to be in. Makes a lot of sense to me. And, and particularly for most of us, as you said in the past episode, that it's not about having more money than the big corporates because we don't, but we have to be smarter. And I think you can you have more time to work out the what is the actual smart thing to do an experiment if you haven't got people breathing down your neck three months after you start, which is generally what happens on Amazon with a big category, as you say. So look, I, I guess what we're talking about is also very lockdown proof. Now, I, I guess what you were saying to me before uh, we got on air is, look, COVID's not going anywhere. E-commerce is here to stay. What do you think are the medium term implications? Never mind panicking about can I get my stuff fulfilled in Q4 via FBA? We've talked about that in another podcast, and that's very important to survive the next quarter. But going into 2021 and even beyond, how depending on how good your crystal ball is, let's talk about covid proof and e-commerce and how that plays out let's 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 kind of open it up a bit yeah in general i just think that from what i've seen and from what i've seen from my clients and seen anecdotally from family and friends is a lot of people ordering stuff on amazon that they never thought about ordering on amazon previously just because of it just because of covid like a friend told me that they'd never even thought about ordering toilet paper on amazon until covid And now they started ordering kind of everyday essentials like that. And so that kind of that stronghold that um, brick and mortar had over e-commerce for the longest time of like dish soap and all these kind of daily things, I think are going to slowly but surely that trend's going to keep going where I think a lot of these companies, like I keep using Clorox before, some of these kind of big CPG brands, a lot of the time they were doing like sub 5% of revenue on Amazon of their total revenue. And I think it'd be really interesting if that becomes 10, 20% of revenue, how much it will drive advertising spend in the whole ecosystem. Cause these people are willing to spend millions of dollars for TV ads that just get impressions. 
So like, let's worry about these big players coming in with that kind of stuff. And then also like, how are they going to manage their ads? Are they going to be doing it internally? Is there going to be a bunch of quarter million dollar a year corporate jobs to be Amazon managers at these corporations coming soon? Like what, what's going to be kind of the next six months of these companies and how much are they going to act like this is the next new normal? and say, hey, we want to continue to do this Amazon thing? Or how many of them are going to be like, yeah, the vaccine is just around the corner. Let's just not do Amazon in the long run. And how many of them are going to kind of shoot themselves in the foot by not using this opportunity to actually push their online presence? So a lot of questions there. And those are interesting questions to just take away and just kind of keep revisiting over the next few months, I guess, really. But so what what would you say are the threats of threats and opportunities that come from the big consumer brands coming onto Amazon and taking it more seriously, assuming that some of them do, some of them will miss the opportunity, I'm sure, like the vaccines around the corner. I mean, I, I think what's interesting to me is that I think there is quite a lot of opportunity because for me, I trust data and I see the curve of infection going whoop up like that. And uh, you can't see it, but it's obviously a massive curve up if you're just listening to the audio. And the British government saying things like, oh, we're going to be locked down for a month. Now, to me, that I've, I've been here before. I literally, I, I remember saying to my co-host on the podcast, Jason Miles, like, we're going to be here 16 weeks back in March. And I was about right. So there's obviously a kind of denial of reality at, at some level for some people. So everyday essentials are going to be coming up. So there's obviously an opportunity there. There's a threat, I guess, from the bigger brands that start, you know, spending big on Amazon uh, ad revenue, that kind of thing. So that, I guess, gives me an opportunity threat analysis. Let's start with the the opportunity first what do you think is the opportunities that are going to stick around based on covid and how do we take advantage of that as a sort of small or medium business owners i think there's just going to be a lot of customer behavior changes for the long term of them at least searching amazon first to seeing okay here's who the major players are. Here's what the general price is. Here's what the reviews are. Now, do i want to go to a store? Now, do i want to and so using amazon as just like a product search engine even if you're not going to buy, I think that's going to be up more than ever. And that's not, that's here to stay. And I think people are getting in the mindset of the idea that Amazon does have everything and that, oh, I need to get a new grill. Oh, I should check out Amazon first before going to my local hardware store or whatever. And so the idea of that kind of stuff, I think is here to stay. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there in these kind of traditional products that maybe weren't Amazon friendly might become Amazon friendly in the future because more and more people see it as a marketplace. So I see that as a big um, place for gains. And where I see um, Amazon's biggest threat is kind of back to that sub $10 retail price that Amazon's always going to have a struggle with that because it's just at scale. It's a kind of thing where you're only making pennies. And if you're going to have third parties doing it, they're eventually going to just run out of it, run out of inventory because they can't do it profitably. And if they do it through vendor central, they can keep it afloat for a while, but then it's just going to be a um, loss leader for the longest time. And it's not good really for Amazon or the customer in the long run. So it sounds a bit like you're talking about the two extremes of really sort of big bulky items that you would traditionally go and source locally or buy locally as a consumer that are people are at least considering buying them on Amazon and, and will do so. And then the opposite extreme, the sub $10 price point, that that's a threat to Amazon, but an opportunity to us, I guess, as as sellers, as, as the e-commerce vendors. What about the dealing with the threat that's implied? But if you say if Clorox um, starts making 20% of their revenue on Amazon, they bring their kind of big ad spend budgets and maybe they spend rather clumsily, in which case they shove the ad costs up for everyone. How, how do we mitigate those threats or deal with those threats of on Amazon big budgets and established brands? 
Yeah, that's where the beauty of the kind of guerrilla warfare and what we were talking about comes back, where like they're looking at it from a huge point of view of there's pain for impressions and all that kind of stuff. So bit up the word bleach all you want. I can care less about that kind of thing. Get your generic impressions off that. Bit up your branded keywords all you want. Do that all you want. Where I'm getting the exact match, four liter, bleach, whatever, concentrate, exact keyword match for 20 cents a click because they're not going granular enough. And so they will just on generic keywords for sure, just totally jack up the prices on them. And the market will eventually decide kind of how much impressions worth to them and how much a click is worth to them. But for the most part, I think there's going to be a lot of money spent on bad keywords and not really probably that targeted. And then it will be, there will be companies even like Tide, who I don't know if you've seen um, recently, but they have a lot of Tide, like actual like laundry department. I mean, laundry places that are actually like, you can do your laundry there and they can, they'll do it for you. And so I'm curious with companies like that too, who can kind of sell branding and a service into it where they go, Hey, I sell Clorox, I sell Tide. Not only am I willing to just pay for impressions, but I'm also willing to pay a 300% ACOS because if you like Tide, you're going to use it for life and you're going to use all of our different laundry centers and all that kind of stuff. And so it's always weird with these kind of bigger brands where they think of lifetime customer value, they think of what's their brand exposure worth to them. And it's just a totally different mindset than the private label person who is only there for profitability. So maybe one's short-term thinking, maybe one's long-term thinking, but essentially there still will be room for the scrappy third-party seller to fit in there with the um, big boys advertising. Interesting. Well, it just sounds like uh, a lot of the things that are happening under COVID are simply accelerations of best or worst practices or threats or opportunities, which is to say, if you go after a very generic keyword, you're nearly always screwed in terms of profit. And I guess you're just going to be even worse. But nevertheless, if you have a set of real buyer keywords are very, very specific, there may be less search per month, but you can get higher click-through rates and higher, you know, return on the investment and ad spend and what have you. So four liter bleach as opposed to bleach, it, it totally makes sense anyway. I guess it's more of the same, right? I, I mean, it seems to me that it's just more of being even more disciplined about doing what you should have been doing anyway. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or what am I missing here? No, I think you're 100% right. And I think it's also just a thing of when we get back to kind of this, the corporate bureaucracy of like, is the same person running the Amazon ads? Is the same person who's running the Facebook ads? And that's how much experience they have with Amazon ads? Is it the same person who's running the Google ads? And that's where they're coming from? Like, what mindset are they coming from? Where are they even, how much experience they have with it? Do they just set up an automatic campaign and just say, let it go? You know, so I'm just curious of like, how much they're deep diving into it, each corporation, how much experience that person has, and how much time in the day they even have to manage it. I'm particularly thinking of the sort of medium-sized corporations as well that probably have maybe somebody who does digital marketing paid ads, right? Which is already quite niche. If you think about all the different traffic um, channels they have and awareness channels, that already sounds very niche to them. But for us deep in the Amazon world, if they're dealing with Facebook and Google and Instagram and Amazon and possibly something else, yeah, relative to somebody who spends all day, every day obsessing with Amazon, I guess that they don't know much stuff, right? So I guess that's, I suppose you're saying is an opportunity to just be better at Amazon than those guys. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is that, yeah, you spend all day and you know your category where they're doing 10 different things. Plus they have to go to three hours of meetings a day that aren't even about their category. Yeah, that makes Yeah. And I guess you're right. Yeah, they're spending a lot of their time managing the corporate politics and thus they've not got their eye on the ball um, with the actual marketplace. That's a good point as well. 
And I guess the other thing that strikes me is this, that I'm, I'm going to reference another podcast, which I rarely do. Um, Ryan Daniel Moran, who seems like an interesting guy. I've met him personally. I know people who've been to his conferences. I'm always wary about other Amazon podcasts, but he said an interesting, simple thing, which I think is true, which you've got to decide if you're an Amazon specialist or if you're going to create a brand that's going to be multi-channel fulfilled or multi-channel sales, etc. And you focus on brand building. And, and I think this kind of puts this in a, in a very focused sort of spotlight because I think in the situation we were just describing, if you're in a corporate that's growing and you're good at certain things, but you're not really scrappy and good at Amazon, you're probably going to do a worse job, which naturally would deem that the solution is to better hire you guys, which I guess is kind of sounds like a setup pitch. It's entirely organic. Actually, I should have set it up that way. Well, obviously, it, they are probably literally going to be better off hiring a good Amazon agency that obsesses about Amazon than they are doing a rubbish job in-house themselves because they won't be competing very well with the scrappy kind of Amazon specialists. So that very organically literally brings us to, I guess we better give you a chance to set out your wares and what you do for everybody for a couple of seconds. So tell us what you do for businesses that want to approach you. Yeah, we basically work with brands and manufacturers to help them run their Amazon account better from choosing which business model to doing the keyword research, the copywriting, running customer surveys and asking customers which photo they like the most, what would they pay for this product, what would they tell their friend this product's called, they know what's included. So all that type of research, implementation throughout the storefront, A-plus content, running their advertising, kind of the whole holistic Amazon account. And yeah, exactly like you're saying, without me trying to pitch myself too much, if you're this mega corporation that's already, I can look on Jungle Scout and you're doing a million dollars a month on Amazon, to pay us a small retainer of four or $5,000 a month for the first six months of onboarding to make sure everything's set up correctly, make sure everything's beautiful, optimized, reporting correctly, and all the photos show up right, is such a tiny fee in the grand scheme of things to make sure that you have kind of everything set up on a strong foundation. Absolutely. And I hope they get the, the fact that and I keep getting you back as a guest. And I, I feel every time we do that, I feel like God, I should get Will back more often because you're so smart and clear thinking, both the big picture stuff and the, the real detail. And I think, you know, if I were doing a million a month, it would be a no brainer for me to hire you guys. I mean, I'm somebody who's in the Amazon sort of service world. And I kind of look around at the agencies sometimes and I think, hmm, you know, would I want to set up an agency and the answer is mostly no because i know what a pain it is and the detail and the sweat and the labor that goes into it but also how would i compete with any of these guys and the answer is i wouldn't even begin to compete with somebody like you guys i would just hire you <laughs> so that would be my take on it um obviously biased but you know will it's been um a real pleasure as ever to talk and and some really cool thinking i mean like this sort of micro this last mile opportunity that is really blowing up and that we see around us you've kind of really opened my eyes to this and I'd be looking out for sort of opportunities and marketplaces and, and, and things that are growing up around that. It's a really exciting time to be looking at the landscape. So been a real pleasure to have you on. Any last sort of words of wisdom for anyone who is wanting to compete in this sort of new world that we're in now? No, besides get started, always take small risks, do a little tests and then expand from there. If you guys have any questions, you guys want to reach out to me. I'm will at goatconsulting.com. But yeah, besides that, if you guys have any questions, reach out. Perfect. That's a wonderful place to leave in. Thank you very much, Will. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. 
Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.